It's a brand new day, and now I feel right. It's a brand new day, and now I see the light. It's a brand new thing, brand new bird, some brand new wings. Think I went to church. It's a brand new day, still got rhythm. Welcome to another edition of No Brains, No Headache podcast. This is episode 41. I'm your host, Jordan Weichel, and I'll be joined shortly with my co-host, Ongo Blagogian. On today's show, we had an interview with Emmy winner and fellow podcaster Chris Van Vliet. We then get into Cleary's comments where we banter about random things, and we'll finish it up with the Olympics of sports moments. Keep in mind, our podiums are very much open for interpretation. If you want to support the podcast, we have a lot of exciting things happening in the near future. What you can do is subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, or follow on Spotify. First up, our interview with Chris Van Vliet. Here he is. Okay. Let's party. Are you in L.A.? Yeah, I'm in L.A. Okay. How, how's the uh, weather down there? It's, uh, well, there's no snow here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Everywhere else in the country, I think the entire state of Texas is just punted on third down. So, <laughs> We got, I mean, it's beautiful. It's yeah. 70s every day. Yeah, we are actually in uh, North Dakota. So I think I woke up this morning. It was a balmy negative 14. So Nice. Well, hey, I'm from Canada, so I get it. Yeah, that's like one thing I was like looking up because I was doing doing some research because started to like get to know who you are by listening to your podcast and sure. listening to other podcasts. And I was like, how does someone get from Ontario, Canada to Los Angeles? Yeah, well, it's it's a journey that took many, many years, but I'm, there's no reason to go back now. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. so but I kind of want to touch a little bit about your time in Canada. So I listened to a Friday Night Lights podcast that you did. Um, it was awesome. I love that movie. And you gl- kind of glossed over it, but you said that your teachers went on strike when you were living <laughs> in Canada. And I was like, I want to hear more about that. And then you kind of just went on to the next subject. So is well, it's that just because it's like, it's a long, like complicated story, but can you give us I the cliff can... notes of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the region I was working in, or I going to school in like the, the district, if you will, the teachers went on strike twice while I was in high school. So once our summer was just extended by like three weeks while the teachers were like picketing and on strike. And it was like, cool, like more <laughs> summer. This is great. And then the next time it was like two months into the year, like in October, the teachers went on strike for like two weeks. And when they came back, they're like, all right, we're coming back, but we're not doing anything outside of like what our contract says we need to do. So we lost all of our sports because that was extracurricular. So everything that was extracurricular we lost out on till they negotiated a new deal and that lasted for like two years. So my final and three years, I think. So my final like three years of high school, we had no sports unless a parent was willing to come in and like oversee it and like, kind of like look after us. And then a teacher had to like kind of sit there in the corner, but like couldn't interact with us. Just had to like be there as like a school presence See, this is all, it's all very complicated, <laughs> but it's all to say that we had football when I was in ninth grade and then didn't have it after that. Yeah, that sounds like they just took everything that makes school remotely fun out of the equation. Well, I think what was so bad about it was school is supposed to be the, for the students, right? Like school yeah. is supposed to be for the kids. And this really felt like the teachers were going, we're not getting our way. So nobody gets their way. And it's like, well, what about us? Like, <laughs> 
what about the whole reason that you have jobs like the kids? Shouldn't we be looking out for them? I don't know. Maybe they're in a better place now because they held out, but it was very frustrating that we didn't have sports. Yeah. And then and it wasn't just my school. It was the entire region. It was all the schools in that area. So I love when guests that we have have Wikipedia pages and yours is quite extensive. You were voted Cleveland's most eligible bachelor by insider edition in 2010. What was the uh, backlash of that? Yeah. That was, <laughs> what was so weird was, yeah, I would, I'd been in Cleveland for like six weeks at this point and Inside Edition aired on the TV network, the TV station that I was on. And so my boss was like, hey, you're going to be at, uh, you're going to do this Inside Edition thing tomorrow. Uh, I don't know, some bachelor thing. I'm like, okay, I guess, sure. And I got there and they're like, all right, everyone take their shirt off. I'm like, hold on, what? <laughs> and we like had this like shirtless photo shoot. Like, you know, look how, look how eligible we are. And then that ended up springboarding. <laughs> that ended up springboarding into Cosmopolitan Magazine naming me the bachelor of the year next year. So like I won this, I won a $10,000 prize. I donated it to the boys and girls club of Cleveland. But yeah, this was a, it was a wild thing. It was a wild thing how that all came together. So if you get an, uh, a fall issue or October issue of Cosmopolitan magazine in 2011, you will see a shirtless Chris Van Vliet walking down the beach. It may look like it's in Mexico or California, Oh no, I'm on the shores of Lake Erie. <laughs> Majestic as can be. Majestic. Was Cleveland just a pit stop along the way or what brought you to Cleveland? I don't know if it could just be a pit stop if I was there for five years. Okay, I had no idea. Yeah, no, I, I loved my time there. So with my first American market, that's what like, I was in Toronto before that. Always wanted to work in the U.S. because as a broadcaster, that's where all the jobs are. And I had auditioned for a lot of different jobs in the States. And my agent said, well, how would you feel about being an entertainment reporter for the CBS station in Cleveland? It's like, sure. And like, literally guys, like my fourth day of work, second day of work, whatever, first week of work, I went to the Oscars. So it was an amazing thing. Like my, my boss was like, yeah, we're going to make a big splash with you coming in. So we're sending you to the Oscars. So I covered the Oscars like four, five times, covered the Grammys four times. Yeah, it was pretty cool being there. And I'm now a Browns fan, for better or for worse. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it could be worse. Uh, actually, I don't think it could be worse. Did you meet Oscar? It's not a real person. Oscar? At the Oscars? It's not a real person? Of course. Yeah, he's there. There better be an Oscar. Action. Was there a moment that was that going to the Oscars, your first moment that you were like, holy crap, I think I've made it? Was that? Yeah. Well, it was just like, holy crap, I can't believe I'm here. Like, that's the biggest red carpet in the world that's like the mecca of entertainment i was like i can't believe i'm like what did i do to deserve this so yeah that was that was definitely yeah that was pretty cool so you did oscars and then now no brains no headache podcast you really i I don't know they're not they're not like this they're more like this nice i like that yeah different levels different (laughs) levels so with your podcast that you have going now um I just got into it pretty and like some of the guests that I've had in my time listening to it, like Booker T was just so much nostalgia coming back. The range of guests you get, is that kind of what you're going for is to get kind of so much broad spectrum or are you trying to focus on one market? 
I mean, what it really comes down to, to for me is I just want to talk to people I'm interested in talking to. Like, I'm fascinated by like learning from people who are at the top of their game. And I always find that people who are like the best of the best at something, they all have like the same habits and techniques of other people who are the best of the best. So yeah, I just want to talk to people who are interesting and like kind of like suck their knowledge out of them and like try to apply it to my own life. So a lot of wrestlers, I'm a big wrestling fan. So I've talked to a lot of wrestlers, but I also like, I had a voice coach on last week. He's the guy who taught Bradley Cooper how to sing for a star is born. He helped uh, Jeff Bridges win an Oscar for crazy heart. Like it was so fascinating talking to someone who's the best. He's the best voice coach in the world. He's worked with Eminem and Selena Gomez and John Mayer. So I just want to be able to like talk to everybody. I had Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC on. I had one of my favorite conversations ever with Freddie Prince Jr., which was, he's, I mean, he's brilliant. He's like the greatest storyteller ever. And we talked for like an hour and a half. It was amazing. I, I did get that, the Chris Kirkpatrick interview. Some of the nuggets that I get out of your interviews of things that I would have no idea. Like sync was the last, what was it, the last letter of all of their first names. Yes. Which is like, how? Wow, yeah, my mind like, is blown like, right how now. Would I, I'm like, <laughs> right? you've listened to this band for like 20 years and you just have no idea how they actually got their name. Yeah. And another one I really liked was uh, Grant Cordon was a really interesting interview because that guy is so black and white. There's no gray with him. And yeah. one and, of and the he's very polarizing, right? Like, oh, yeah, people that like him, love him. People that hate him you know, really don't like him. So it was interesting bringing him on the show because he has a lot of opinions that people are like, you're an idiot for thinking that. But when you really like dive into it, like he's very big on like, don't buy a house because a house is like not a way to make money. And when you say to someone like, don't buy a house, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, that sounds stupid. When he dives into it, you're like, huh, this actually kind of makes sense when he explains it. And just the way that his mind works in terms of like making money, generating money, it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to learn from him. And one of the questions you had uh, I thought it was a great question about Jordan Belfort asking, I've been a rich man, I've been a poor man, I choose rich man every time. And it was the most off-the-cuff answer I was, like, expecting. <laughs> and I kind of could, like, feel it in the interview because he was, like, basically said, I hate that guy. And I was just like, yeah. I didn't expect that at all. It's like, he's a con man. I didn't either. Like, I, I knew there was some tension there, but I, did, I thought there was still like a professional courtesy. But no, no, no. He just really doesn't like him like at all. And, and I, I thought everyone liked Jordan Belfort just because the way he talks and everyone sees how he is portrayed in the movie. It's like, who wouldn't like that guy? I think everybody likes Leo yes. who portrayed Belfort. Yeah. <laughs> Before that movie came out, I don't think people liked Jordan Belfort at all. Oh, yeah, he lost so much money for people. And and honestly, the movie is probably one of my top five favorite movies, but that guy was a real a-hole. Yeah, but I want to have him on the show. So he's a he's a guest I have on my, like, I want to, like, have him on the show. Is there anyone else that you're like, I need that guy? Oh, there's so many, like, that I know are probably not going to happen. But, like, I'd love to have a conversation with Vince McMahon. He's at the top of that list. I just want to talk to Vince McMahon like the businessman. Like what, what makes him tick? What's the first 30 minutes of Vince McMahon's day look like to make him a billionaire? 
Joe Rogan would be a great conversation because not, not just because he's a podcaster and, you know, all of us are podcasters here, but Joe Rogan's taken everything that he's passionate about and turned it into a job. Loves comedy. He's just touring comedian. Loves MMA. He's commentator for UFC. Loves talking to people. He's a podcaster. Loves hosting. He hosts TV shows. Like, it's brilliant. And I just want to be able to, like, tap into, like, how did you make this thing happen? Because we, we, we all should be able to do what you're doing. Yeah, and Joe Rogan's such a weird case because he's, if he's passionate about something, he goes and gets that something. If he wants to talk to a guy that worked on UFOs, the next week he's talking to a guy that works on UFOs. It's, yeah, and beyond that, like he's so knowledgeable about it too. He doesn't just go, all right, so tell me about it. He's like in the conversation, which... And and yeah, his his know, podcasts yeah. are... He talked to Kanye West for like five hours. <laughs> I listened to about well, a half Kanye hour West, of that, and I was just like, what is happening right now? Kanye West talked at him for five hours. Yeah, that is one of the more cringeworthy interviews that I've listened to. I just didn't really know what was happening. Uh, yeah. But that's, I mean, that's Kanye West. So so going through your Twitter, I, you tweet a lot, so it's tough to go back in time. But I did see one that I really liked that you stayed at the Cecil Hotel. <laughs> and for the ones that don't know, the Cecil Hotel is the number one trending Netflix show right now is about a girl that went missing at the Cecil hotel in 2013. Could you tell us about your stay? And first off, when was your stay? So I stayed there in 2011. Actually, this ties into the Oscars. So (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny. The second year I went back to cover the Oscars, my boss goes, we don't really have a budget for it this year, but we're going to make it happen anyway. I'd like fly out of an alternate airport. Instead of flying out of Cleveland, I flew out of Akron. Um, And he's like, we're going to have to like, you're going to stay downtown because it's cheaper to stay downtown. And I found you a room at this place. It's a hostel, but you've got your own room, your own bathroom. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's a really nice looking place. Like, look at these photos. And he showed me the photos on his phone. It's called stay on Maine. I'm like, sure. Like I'll, I'll stay anywhere as long as I get to cover the Oscars. I had no idea this was in like a seedy part of town. I had no <laughs> idea this was part of the Cecil hotel. Like it was a, and then you see it in the documentary. It's a very nice lobby and the rooms are fine. You know, like it was good. And I didn't, this is the crazy thing about it. I didn't tie any of this together until episode two when they started explaining that the rebranding of the Cecil Hotel. And I went, stay on Maine. Man, that sounds familiar. <laughs> then I saw the sign, like a, the orange sign. Like, I'm like, wait a second. Oh my God. I stayed there (laughs) and it all started to make sense. I was like, you know what? When we did walk to dinner that one night, there were a lot of crackheads around, (laughs) you know, it all makes sense now, but nothing creepy or weird happened there. It was just like, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things where you look at it in hindsight and you go, if I had known this at the time, there's no way in hell I would have stayed there. that, That was the thing too. I watched like 15 minutes of starting it. Got really creeped out because I did watch the Night Stalker one night. Made sure all my doors were locked. Like moved a bookshelf in front of my bedroom door. <laughs> Just did, and I was like, "Okay, I can't do this at night. I gotta wait till it's daylight out." <laughs> Not getting into it, but I did read the whole Wikipedia page about it. It's basically where I get all my information from. 
But well, the, yeah. the Black Dahlia was connected with that. The Night Stalker lived there for a while. It's just one of those places, hindsight's twenty twenty. like, good God, I would never stay there. Now, I wonder what it costs to stay at the Cecil Hotel. Nine dollars. Sure still exists. How much? Nine dollars. That's just a guess, but or they oh. <laughs> they pay you to stay yeah. there. Yeah, they pay you. <laughs> they don't know how to spell or say continental breakfast. It's funny how like LA has this like appeal of like being like really it's glitz and glamour. It's all where all the celebrities are, and then you go to downtown LA and you're like, ooh. I don't, uh, that's not the LA I see in the movies. Or in fact, you know, Hollywood and Highland where the, the handprints are and the, the, um, the concrete, I'm sure you've seen that in the yep. Walk of Fame. If you walk just like two or three blocks east of that, <laughs> it gets really questionable really quickly. And it's just funny how like there's pockets where it's awesome and there's pockets where it's like, I don't know if I'd walk here at night. Well, that's the thing, too, about it makes L.A. so interesting is that every other major city, the downtown is basically on the coast and L.A.'s is like nine miles in. You just don't see that. So it's not appetizing to live in downtown L.A. because it's not on the coast right there. But yeah, I want to I know there's a reason for it. I don't know what the reason is, but I'd love to know why it's not on the coast. Because there's going to be an earthquake in the future. I bet it has something to do with that. It's just going to get cut off on the edge I of the bet, city. I bet Wikipedia knows. Uh, <laughs> he knows all my secrets. It does. My, all of them. I've seen the movie 2012, and the whole state of California slides into the sea, so yeah. it won't find me going there. Find me going well, to the Cecil Hotel. Then, you know, Until then, we have beaches, and we have mountains, and great weathers, so I'm happy being a Canadian that lives in California. Which is just a natural progression. Did you have a Canadian accent? And I, did, I did. Yeah. Do I? Do I have a Canadian accent now? No. I th- do. I. I? It, it, we yeah, sound. You guys sound more Canadian than me. Yeah. That's, I was just about to say that. Uh, we had a we had a guest from L.A. and he goes, "You guys have really thick accents." Or Jordan, you have a really thick accent. Jordan's like, "What the hell? I didn't think yeah. I had an accent." The funny thing is, no Canadians think they have an accent. Damn it. So when when I when I go back and I'm like, guys, you have an accent, they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you have an accent. Because I get I get really North Dakotan Canadian. If I get really excited, just all the words start to string together and <laughs> like it, there's it's only like a handful of words, but I definitely like had to make an adjustment. Like sorry, tomorrow, <laughs> oh to boat, uh, and then, like, I grew up playing hockey, so there's just, like, phrases that you say when you're playing hockey, like, oh, yeah, bud. Like, you know, you would just call everyone bud. So that's, how, just, that's just been eliminated. How far did you get? I go home, after I drink a few Molson, you know, Molson or Labatt or Alexander Keith's or... Any whiskey. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> trying, to, trying to think of all these Canadian beers. When I have a few of those in me. You know, it starts to come out a little bit. It starts. It starts to come out a little. Out a little bit. Out a little bit. Uh, Jeez, I can't even do it anymore. <laughs> That's probably a good thing if you're in broadcasting, though. I remember, like, this was in, like right before I made the move to the states, like about a year before. I remember, like, being aware of the fact that I had an accent, and I was in Los Angeles for something for work, and I was listening to Ryan Seacrest on the radio, and you know, Seacrest's catchphrase is Seacrest out. Like he ends every <laughs> show with Seacrest out. 
And I was like, that's how you're supposed to say it. And I, I remember listening to this in my rental car and I like spend the rest of the day going, Seacrest out, Seacrest out, 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 to try to figure out how to say it. So you can basically chalk your career up to Ryan Seacrest's catchphrase. At least the word out, yeah. <laughs> Which is huge for a Canadian. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been saying it ironically so much that I've developed a Canadian accent. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem. I love the movie Fargo, and I always like jokingly do the Canadian voice. Like, oops, sorry about that. Let's get you a couple of loonies and toonies. We'll call it even, eh? couple of Tim Hortons, let's do it. And it's just like, I can't keep doing that because then it leaks into my normal talk and I don't, I don't want to be known as a Canadian. Offensive. That accent is offensive to me. <laughs> Good. Well, you don't have it anymore, so someone's got to do it. When one Never person loses it, an entire state in the U.S. gains it. Whenever I talk to my parents on FaceTime, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> You guys sound so funny. <laughs> you guys are weird. Yeah. Sorry about that. Never gets old. <laughs> I want to get into wrestling because I can see in the background you got... What belt is that? It's my own. It's a custom belt. Oh, it's such a power move. That is. Chris Van Vliet belt. I remember buying the fake ones when I was a kid at Target Yep, and having just wrestling matches with my brothers but i was the youngest so i just get the brakes beat off of me uh, i have a i have a bunch of other belts i just you know they're they're somewhere off camera so as i was introduced into wrestling was through the nintendo 64 and maybe you can shed some light on this but i wasn't allowed to play anything that was in the wwf so i was only allowed to play wcw games oh which i don't because of the violence or something. And my first rubber match that I had was I was a guy named Sting. I don't know if you're familiar, but he gets to start with a bat that has barbed wire around it. And I just beat the tar off a guy named Reese. And I don't know the guy, but that's just my memories of it. And all those guys, my favorite wrestler has been Rey Mysterio just because he could do all these crazy flips and stuff. How did you get into wrestling? Was it is it a Canadian thing that I don't know about? About the boot. <laughs> so you didn't on, on uh, you didn't play No Mercy on N sixty four. No, I played uh, WCW and and NWO Revenge. Yeah, yeah, and uh, No Mercy's like arguably the greatest wrestling game of all times. So it's too bad that you didn't play that on N sixty four. So the way okay. I got into wrestling, like I, I grew up in the eighties, like I was a kid in the eighties and my grandpa would just like have it on at the house. Not that he was a huge fan, but it would just be on. So I was like introduced to like the Bushwhackers and Sergeant Slaughter and Hogan and Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior. But it was in the late nineties. It's all because of my friend, his name is Vince. And in the nineties, when you have a friend, you do this crazy thing called talking on the phone. Wild, right? And we would talk on the phone frequently because it's what you did with your best friend. And I knew Monday night at nine o'clock, our call would have to abruptly come to an end because he was a huge wrestling fan. And one Monday I said, all right, man, like we're not done talking here. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep talking with you. I'll, I'll put on wrestling so we can, you know, have something to talk about. And I just got sucked into it. I was just, I was blown away by the large in life characters. It was Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at the time. 
And when I dive into something, like I go all the way. So I went from watching zero hours of wrestling to watching literally every wrestling program possible like that in a week. And that's, that was it. I, and I was on the high school wrestling team at the time. I was, became, a, <laughs> became a backyard wrestler after that. And I had backyard wrestling federation with my friends. Like I decided at 16 years old, I was going to be a pro wrestler when I grew up. And? And? You got I, any? I mean, backyard wrestling and I went to wrestling school. So I went to college and I went to wrestling school and I trained to be a wrestler. And I kind of like had this, it was like a crossroads, right? Like it was, this was in the summer between like college years. And when it came time to go back to college that fall, I was like, well, I don't want to like half do college or half do wrestling school. So eh, wrestling school, I'll always be there. I'll just continue going to college. So I trained for a handful of months. I can run the ropes. I can take a bump. I can lock it up. I could work a really terrible match, but I definitely trained but decided, you know, I think I'd be more comfortable getting my broadcasting degree, getting a communication studies degree. And, you know, my foot is firmly planted in the broadcasting world. And I get to tip, dip my toe now into the wrestling world whenever I want. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, I wish you would have chased your dreams like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You ever heard of him? <laughs> I think so. You know, I've only interviewed him nine times, you know. Who's, who's counting? Yeah, who's counting? <laughs> Fact, I would count that. Who am I kidding? If you're going to count anything, that's yeah. what you count. Would you vote for him if he ran for president? Can't vote. Oh, shit. Canadian. How does that work? Get Be American. You're, you're yeah, more American than I am. If you could vote, would you vote for Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Why or why not? I mean, I guess we'd have to see what his political platform is, right? Like Everyone's like, I, he has my vote. Well, I don't know where he stands on anything. Nope, you got to go with your gut and just say yes because right, you interviewed yes, him yeah, nine he's, times. He's vice president. You hey, don't call Steve Austin? Well, if you were an American, I would say you, but apparently not. I think yeah. it would have to be someone like... Actually, isn't the Undertaker the mayor of his town? Uh, Kane. Kane yeah. is, okay. Yeah, Kane, Kane is the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. Which is another gradual step. I love people's progressions of where they go in their career from going to professional wrestling to, yeah, I'm going to run for office. Yeah, I want an all-wrestling cabinet. I think we do pretty well. <laughs> I think the thing that wrestlers don't realize when you're getting into it is like, yeah, that's your lifelong passion. And maybe you'll start when you're 18 or 19 or 20. And you can do it for 15 or 20 years, and then what? Like when you're in your 40s, then what? And I think that you, you know, Rock has made an incredible transition. John Cena has made a great transition. Kane, now that he's the mayor, has made a great transition. But there's a lot of people that are like, all I know is wrestling. So what do I do now? Yeah, I did listen to DDP, DDP your interview with him, and his progression into it has been awesome because yeah. that, that guy's life is insane. And I knew a little bit about it from seeing, like, weight loss videos online and him just kind of being a badass, but I had no idea like to the extent of what he did and what he was doing. I didn't know he didn't start till he was 35. Yeah. yeah, he didn't. Well, he was a manager before then, but he didn't start wrestling till he was 35 and a half. Then he won the championship, you know, years later. Like his story is incredible. I think he won the title at 43 years old. And 
I think the really cool thing about what he said in that interview was he dreamed to be Jack LaLanne mixed with Tony Robbins mixed with uh, Richard Simmons, but straight. That's what he said he wanted to be after wrestling. <laughs> That's a highly motivated person. That is a highly motivated yeah, person. Yeah, holy hell. Yes. I, that that's someone that doesn't sleep. He's going to turn 65 years old this year. Yeah, when he said that, I yeah. I don't I just have a hard time believing that just because he's like been doing so much and then what he continues to do. It's like most yeah. people retire at 65. Yeah. This dude's like building compounds for people to come train at and just doing everything. It's like good for him and gives you something to strive for for sure. And when you talk to people like that, you're like, oh, I'm not doing enough with my life. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we're talking to you. You're the the Canadian-born Oscar-covering podcaster who's also a bass fisherman, which I would like to talk about next. What's what's Please. with the bass fishing career that you just like kind of do on the side, apparently? Again, like when I'm passionate about something, <laughs> like I go all in on it, so... This started, I was four years old. We would go to our neighbor's cottage and all the kids were like a handful of years older than me. So I didn't really have anyone to like hang out with. So my parents stuck me on the end of a dock with a worm and a bobber. I caught my first ever fish, a rock bass. And I was hooked. Ah, I didn't mean to do that. I was hooked and that was it. I got to go. <laughs> I fished in, my, fished in my first bass fishing tournament when I was 14 and just continued to do them every year. And like that became a huge, huge passion of mine. I was fishing in like pro-am tournaments, like where you're the amateur fishing in the same tournament as pros. Like if this was like a, the equivalent to golf, you'd be like in the same tournament as like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. It was crazy. And that has now turned into, I own a fishing company, me and my uh, business partner. Uh, we, he was also my fishing partner. We own a fishing company called Woo Tungsten. How many O's is that? Six? It's only two. Oh, okay. We, uh, we own a fishing company where we sell tungsten fishing weights. So if you're fishing with a you know, plastic worm, plastic craw, some sort of plastic bait, you need something to sink it down to the bottom. It was lead for years, and now the lead alternative is tungsten. So, yeah, you're, you're seeing a theme here that, like, when I like something, I'm, like, laser-focused, tunnel vision into that thing. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and honestly, not to be cliche, it's pretty inspirational. I'm gonna go start my bass fishing career tomorrow. I think. Yeah, the ra- the range you have in your hobbies is downright <laughs> ridiculous. I am very aware that like it makes no, it makes no sense. I I actually remember this specifically. I flew to London to interview Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt on the red carpet for World War Z. I was wearing like a suit. And then I flew back, and the next day, I was in a bass tournament on Lake Erie <laughs> fishing in a T-shirt and shorts in Sandusky, Ohio. And, like, it is not lost on me how juxtaposed those two scenarios are within 24 hours. How do you, yeah, how do you process that? I don't know if I could lay down and sleep and be like, all right, I got to mentally prepare for my my fishing tournament. But I also just interviewed Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie in a foreign country. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it just, it's just another day, right? It's just another day of work. It was wild though, to think about like, I don't think you could get two things that are further away from each other. 
right? Like bass fishing and reporting on celebrities. And for a while, I don't anymore, but for a while, like I was reporting, I was going to red carpets in like a jacked up pickup truck. I had a lifted Toyota Tundra, which I was living in Miami, like driving to these red carpets on Miami beach, like South beach in a lifted Tundra covering these red carpet events with, you know, the biggest stars in the world. Like it, Fishing rack on top. What's that? Fishing rack on top. (laughs) (laughs) I understand how strange these things, like how strange this is. The, like the scenario that comes to my mind is you're talking about wrestling with someone that wants to get out of a conversation with you. So he tries to change the subject to something random and he just goes, yeah, so I'm thinking about going bass fishing tomorrow. Like little do you know, (laughs) this guy owns a fishing company. Yeah. I, I guess I know, you know, when it comes to those subjects that I'm passionate about, like I feel like I know a lot. But then when it comes to something that I have like zero interest in, I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. That's, that, that can be your thing. And that's kind of like when I first like came upon you, I was like, this guy has so much range in what he talks about. It's just something that I can gravitate to because even if I don't like one thing, the next week I'm probably going to like that thing. And it's just something oh. that gives you something that people, other people can strive for too is you got to be diverse but be passionate about what you're what you're going into. And I think that like the real lesson to be learned here is if there's something that like draws you in, if there's something that you're passionate about, there is a career there. Like there is a way to make money, especially like in the world that we're living in now where like the supercomputer lives in our pocket all the time. Just like lean into the things that like are, are the things that excite you. And there's a way like, look, look what you guys are doing with your podcast. This excites you. And there's a, you know, there's, there's a way to like monetize this. Yeah. So are you are you gonna pay us? Is that what you're <laughs> is that what you're getting at? That's how it works. Yeah. Venmo is open. <laughs> so we do this game called the Olympics. It's what we do to kind of grade things from lost in the medal round being your fourth place to gold medal being your first place. Okay. If I were to give you the Olympics of your favorite wrestlers, you had zero time to prepare for this. Who would be your four through one? Okay. Of my favorites, or yep. is this like my Mount Rushmore? See, it's kind of like your Mount Rushmore, but you got to rank them. Okay. It's like picking your favorite so you children go- is how I explain it to people. <laughs> well, I've, I I know what my Mount Rushmore is, so... Unless you have five kids, then you got some decisions to make, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, do you want me to, I can give you five. That actually might make it easier. Nope, I want four now. Number five. Okay, fine. Go with what you feel. <laughs> Okay, five. Okay, five. Rock. Rock is number five, and I only say he's only so low on the list because Rock has become more famous outside of wrestling than he ever was in wrestling. And when you think about it, Rock was only at like the prime of his game in wrestling for like six or seven years. So then we go into the actual list here. So just out of the metal, yeah, is going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. Then the Undertaker. Okay, is going to be my bronze. Then Ric Flair. Woo! Oh, nice. Silver. Woo! Woo! Two claps and a Ric Flair. Here we go. (laughs) And then number one, it's going to be Hulkamania, brother. Oh, I love the Hulk. I'm not going to do my Hulk impression. I'm going to hold off on my Hulk impression. Jordan is world-renowned for his terrible impressions, so. Lay enough. Jeez, Jordan. All right, last question. Everyone has a Hogan. Everyone has a Macho Man. I'm not ready to do it, brother. (laughs) 
That one actually wasn't bad compared to his other ones. What's that? Oh, yeah. All right. Last question for you, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Where can our listeners find you on socials, podcasts, wherever it may be? Man, ending with a hard question. Jeez, I don't know how to. Man. Now, thank you guys for having me. This has been fun. I, I should have cracked a beer open because then I could have been drinking along with you guys. I'm sorry. That's fine. I'll drink one for you. It's literally five o'clock here. Like it's five o'clock somewhere. It's literally five o'clock here. So people can find me online uh, at Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. Wherever you're listening to this, you can find my podcast, Insight with Chris Van Vliet. And on YouTube, uh, it's just Chris Van Vliet. And again, Matt, Jordan, thank you guys. You're awesome. Yeah, thank you for yeah. coming on. We'll definitely stay in touch. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Let's do it. Jordan, I like how you have three different beverages there. Yeah, that's Beer. kind of my thing. I wear sandals in the studio, and then I like to stay hydrated. Lucky for you, I didn't have to leave the studio mid-interview to use the restroom, because I have done that before. It was the guy who said I had a thick Canadian accent, so I just <laughs> kind of walked out. I just checked out of that one. <laughs> We have a new member joining the No Brains, No Headache podcast team. You can follow him on Twitter. It's Denver Correspondent Andy. Follow him on Twitter at DencoAndy for all your sports gambling advice and chicken sandwich reviews. Also, reminder to check out Layers of Love on Etsy. We had Lauren on last week to discuss her customizable 3D depth maps of your favorite lake. She does a great job, and you can use promo code NBNH10 at checkout for 10% off your order. We have links on our Instagram and Twitter pages. Let's get into Cleary's comments. Oh, okay. I'm going to start. I actually had a good one because I went grocery shopping today, and I had this one on for about a week, and I saw it again. I'm unsure if wearing headphones while grocery shopping is a pro move or a dick move what are your thoughts it all depends on where you're shopping if you're in your hometown like we are and you want to avoid seeing people and just avoid talking to people in general then the headphones is a power move is it are they airpods or the headphones i saw one guy that had headphones like old school like airport like airplane ones that were on him just like that guy's weird but then there was a guy with airpods but he was like I walked by him, and he was like, what's up, man? I was like, hey. So I don't really know. I don't think I'll ever wear, like, AirPods, and I don't think I'll ever get the grocery pickup, although it's convenient. I'm one of those people that never have a grocery list. I'm like, I need groceries. I'm just going to walk in. Whatever looks good, I'm going to buy. Yep, I'm right there with you. You know, you can do whatever you want with the headphones, but just don't be that person who has their phone blaring in public whether you're listening to a podcast unless it's no brains no headache or you're listening to an audiobook or music i hate people who are in public they don't have their headphones with them and they still decide to just like blare their shit it's just obnoxious please don't do that i'm glad you brought up groceries because first question crunchy or puffy cheetos oh shit i'll go ahead if you need a moment i i am leaning towards crunchy puffy See, I used to love Puffy Cheetos when I was wrestling because they weighed like an ounce and a half. Okay. But Crunchy Cheetos are so good. And honestly, put them on a, like a turkey sandwich, very good. 
Yeah, I'm not saying Crunchy Cheetos are bad by any means. They're a 1B, and my 1A is Puffy Cheetos. I just had this conundrum, you know, last weekend out of all these bags of chips, and there's only Puffy Cheetos, and I realized I was okay with that. Honestly, I like Cheese Doodles more than Cheetos. So Cheese Doodles were made famous by the movie Penguins of Madagascar, so I bought them. Like them better. Are they the same concept, basically? Yeah, and and they have puffy cheese doodles as well. You can only get them at very, like, shitty grocery stores, like Dollar General or Family Dollar, like those shitty ones. Are those grocery stores? Not really. I I believe those those are dollar stores. Snack stores. Or as the Canadians call it, loony stores. Or where I get my Christmas presents for my family. Nice. Staying on the subject of snacks, we talked about certain snacks in Olympics of Stadium Snacks. Uh, Check it out in episode 38 if you haven't already. One thing we mentioned, Matt, was poor man nachos to be specific. Basically what poor man nachos are, it's just chips and then melted cheese on top and then maybe some salsa, possibly some sour cream, but not much. I mean, they get the job done. As you all know, if the nachos get stuck together, it's one nachos. But you went on this diet, Matt, and my question is, you know, how is it going? Well, I ran out of poor man nachos. I also ate, I had two bags of chips, a giant thing of cheese, two things of runny salsa, which I love, like the the restaurant-style salsa. Gets me going. And I had poor man nachos, I want to say, like, five days straight. That's all I ate. Yeah, how's the old digestive system or the keister reacting? Well, as always, not great. No matter what I eat, it's not great. I can't imagine it's any better with poor man's nachos. Uh, My body hates me on a regular basis, so it's just like, okay, this guy's funneling in chips and cheese let's go well i watched you eat like three servings of these nachos and i mean i had a chip or two here and there but it was very hard to be like not just immediately go to the grocery store myself and buy chips and cheese well see i'm one of those guys that lock in on things at the grocery store you mentioned cereal and i bought a huge thing of knockoff captain crunch colossal crunch here we go it is my goal to eat that entire bag of cereal in the next 24 hours and not let you have a bite that'd be impressive it's it's like a prank but i'm also you know satisfied i'm also getting fed okay playing driveway basketball as a kid i did it a lot by myself yeah, every American kid who had a b-ball hoop in the driveway, did, did you, you were the, shooting hoops. Did you do the thing where you're like, okay, three, two, one, you like shoot it and miss? Yes. I was fouled. And then so you go t- shoot like two free throws and you're like, there was actually time still on the clock. Yeah, it turns out the referee made a mistake, put 10 seconds back on the clock. Why do you ask? So I was thinking, did you have any like backyard games or like home games that you played at growing up as a kid? Because I have like bunch of them that were just staples one that is just coming into my mind and i'm just gonna give you the raw reaction here uh we called it stinky ball and as us north dakotans and upper midwesterns know in the winter time you just you don't spend a whole lot of time outside so stinky ball was basically it was like basketball but there was just like a hoop but it was just like a bucket hanging from the ceiling 
and then like a bouncy ball basically and it was just chaos it was like tip 21 meets american gladiators we we played like someone there was this shitty basketball hoop at my grandma's house that was just duct taped to a door yeah and we played battle basketball where you could just tackle the person essentially the same thing as stinky ball yeah and we did that and it was so much fun and this basketball hoop was there for like 10 years no idea how it didn't just get destroyed yeah because it had some quality duct tape I, and they, they used to make things different i'm dating myself but there was also some other games that we played i think you played it a couple times with me at my house at my old house we used to play backyard baseball and the tree was a base this huge bush was a base and then like a corner of a deck but we played with a tennis ball and a metal bat so if you made any sort of contact the thing was flying over the fence yeah also you'd step in dog shit nearly every time you ran yeah the logistics of backyard games as a child just they didn't really make a lot of sense you know you, you play with what you got shit in the yard or not you play and and then a couple like footballs that come to mind the vortex i loved when the vortex came out it was such a good football you could throw it a mile was that the whistling one but i was getting to that okay, i'm so, sorry so i'm that, sorry did i premature yeah you, you premature vortex did so they had that one, and then we got the whistle one. I don't know if you knew this about the whistle one. It was hard as shit. Like, it hurt to catch. Because you could just hum that thing. And the whistles were hard, too. So it was like, it hurt to catch. Did the Vortex have the cool grooves on it? Is Or what the fuck's the Vortex? I don't know. We had so many so, Nerf balls so, over the years. So the Vortex is a football with, like, a I gathered that airplane thing. And then it had, like, the thing oh, on Okay, the so it's the whistle thing, but minus the whistle. I actually did. I'm an, I'm an idiot. I know I, exactly. I, what I got this about. from like Mike Camerlengo came out with a video about John Elway throwing the football like 95 yards. I wonder how far I could throw a vortex. Also, the half football. Did you ever have one of those that you th- could throw against the wall? Yeah. I feel like every kid had one of those, but I almost never played by myself with that, which is good. But I would also get in trouble because I'd like throw it in my house and it would hit off the wall or and then. Throwing stuff against the wall brings me to my next sport that I did was I would kick a soccer ball against the wall. My dad hung up this cow skull on the side of our garage, and I spent... Is this a therapy session of what you did from... No, just wait. ...age 8 to 12 in your free time? Just wait. So I sat out there for like 15 minutes just kicking the soccer ball, at trying to hit this skull, and I finally just smoked it, and the thing just blew up. What did you think was going to happen? Well, I, I know, but then I went inside and I was like, hey, I was kicking the soccer ball against the wall and I accidentally hit the skull thing, but I was trying to do it for 15 minutes. Yeah, Ronaldinho <coughs> would be proud. I'm going to go ahead and give my Devil's Tower analysis. This was requested uh, on Instagram by one of our listeners. You ask and you shall receive. They want to know what I think of the Devil's Tower in Wyoming. I visited there about two weeks ago. How did it get there? Short answer, and Matt, feel free to you know jump in here. Short answer would be aliens. Okay. I once I like kind of decided to go to Devil's Tower, there was no doubt in my mind that aliens are most definitely involved. I'm pretty convinced it's where they play the alien Super Bowl. I think it'd be sweet if they had, like, a basketball court on top of it. Yeah, like, they should kick the aliens out. Let's get March Madness in the Devil's Tower. 
or like have someone shoot a basketball off the top of Devil's Tower into a hoop. There's the possibilities are endless, and it's in Wyoming. If anyone fucking needs it, and this is coming from a North Dakotan, they probably need the pub. The publicity. Yeah. I shorten things now. Well, a pub could be a drinking establishment, so I would specify. I also have a couple theories of how it got there. The the more please re- enlighten real, me. The more realistic one is going to be it was a volcano at one point. That is the realistic. There's three theories they have. They don't know exactly, but one is involves or all three involve volcanoes. The other one is that it was a tree that Paul Bunyan chopped down. And now it's just petrified wood. So if you would dig down, you'd find roots. I'm surprised it started ha- like hasn't started growing again. I like that one because if you see it, it's kind of it like the side of it runs down as if roots were to. And there's rocks laying there as if they're petrified wood chips from his axe. We're on to something. There's also these like prayer cloths from the local tribes. As you know, they call Devil's Tower Bears Teepee. And there's also this super sketchy wooden ladder that, like, you can see. I thankfully brought my binoculars, but you can see this just, like, old rotten wood. They, like, had a ladder for people climbing up. The most dangerous fucking scary thing I've ever seen. It's just It just looks sketchy. It's just, like, jammed into the cracks of these rocks and just barely hanging. climb up? Yeah, it's, it's just, like, the remains of the ladder. But you can, like, if, like, they have a spot and they point at it, like, hey, if you look here... And I had my binoculars with me, and I saw this ladder, and it's just like part of the frame is like you can see it clear as day, but part of the frame is still there. So people are trying to climb that shit. Moral of the story: I'm declaring Devil's Tower in Wyoming the nipple of America, and that's not a bad thing. Is that where volcano nipple the term came from? Volcano nipple is a term. Yeah. Why haven't I heard of this? It's like when fat guys have nipples and. Never mind. Yeah, let's never mind that for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whoa. One of us needs to settle the fuck down. <laughs> so I was thinking about large sculptures that make towns famous, like little towns. They have like New Salem, North Dakota has a cow. Jamestown has a giant buffalo. The one I stumbled on this week that I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen is Pelican Pete in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. It's a giant pelican made of metal. I love giant things. I wish I could go see it. I can go see it. But around America, there's got to be like giant things that towns are famous for. Yeah, literally everywhere in the Midwest has a giant something. To bring people to their town of 600 that's just starving for people to come. Yeah, I could go off on this. I'm that person that comes to that. I, I would go check it out. What do we have? Don't we have like a turtle... Driving a snowmobile somewhere. Oh, Botnum. the the, Botnum. the the world's largest turtle driving a snowmobile. The more specific you get, the odds are it is the world's largest that. I, and I love small towns that do it. Like we have the world's largest spatula. Great. No one gives a shit except for me. We have the. I'll be there in two weeks. World's largest spatula, but there's not a diner open in town because nobody <laughs> fucking lives here. <laughs> It only opens when an Asian family comes to visit for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> hey, how do how do canals work? We were talking about canals. Canals? Canals. Panama Canal. Yeah. How do they work? Okay, so what it is, 
is the water level, let's say it's at six feet on the right side and it's at 16 feet on the left side. Okay, I got to write this down. There's a wall that's breaking it on the 16 feet side. Okay. The boat goes in and it's at six feet. Then a wall comes up blocking the six foot water and then they let the 16 feet wall down and then you wait until your boat goes up to that 16 feet level and then you go out. So it's a modern day hyper... Noah's Ark. Terrible analogy, but yes. All right. If it's a terrible analogy, but yes, it can't be that bad. I was just curious, how do canals work? It, it, they're fascinating. The Panama Canal is, I mean, we'll get to this in a far down Olympics, but it is a modern marvel Yeah, that needs to be talked about more because holy shit, can you imagine? You're like, okay, I'm in Dominican Republic. I need to go to Hawaii on a boat. You have to sail around I don't know why I said sail. You have to uh, yeah, be, I'm not, I'm not be, a sailor. be in a boat and go around South America and go up. Are you wearing a shirt that says slut? Yeah, it's a pineapple that has a thong on, and it says slut. Is the pineapple a slut, or am I? Your pineapple's wearing a G-string. My sister got it for me for Christmas, and it's the greatest gift I've ever gotten. She gets you some good gifts, I'll tell you what. Okay, Jordan, this is I needed to talk to you about this. This is a news article that I'm going to give you the cliff notes on, and it takes upper decking to a new level. What is upper decking? It's when you take a dump in the top of a toilet. Here is the article from the Detroit Free Press. While you talk, I drink. Warren police search for man who pooped in unlocked cars at auto shops. Employees at two different auto shops were shocked when they realized a random man had pooped in the cars that belonged to customers. The man first struck at Mr. Friendly Auto. The manager realized that someone used their customer's car as a bathroom. Moving on. Was it Dirty Mike and the boys? The security footage showed the man grabbing sanitary napkins, opening the customer's van and pooping inside it. But he kept his pants on. So that's a thing. Wait, let's, wait, what? How do you keep your, so he shit his pants? No, I'm sure he just pulled them down and let one go. The second incident happened at Twins Tire Service. We're fixing a van that had electrical problems so the vehicle couldn't lock. The employee said although it was unsettling, the poop froze due to cold temperatures. He was able to shovel it out of the car. Yeah, if you got a shovel poop, it's better frozen. Which was slightly easier to clean up. If There's a serial pooper on the loose in Detroit, so people need to watch out. This was also linked to back in October. There was a guy that at, went into a local Mejure, M-E-I-J-E-R, I think it's like a department store, <laughs> pooped in an empty box and put it back on the shelf. Who's this Cliff guy who gave you the notes for this? Time for Olympics, our game we do on this show. This week we did Olympics of Sports Moments. If you don't know how Olympics works, we pick a topic such as Sports Moments, and then we make a podium starting with Lost in the Medal Round, Bronze, Silver, and Gold. You can have a Disqualified if you like. That is optional. So, Olympics of Sports Moments. Matt, why don't you go ahead and get started? I do not have a disqualified this week. See, this week was really hard to do a disqualified because I couldn't think of like, oh, on November 22nd, the Timberwolves beat the Spurs 
97 to 95. Like, what do you do? Just a boring sports moment? It doesn't happen. Well, it does happen, but I'm not going to fucking talk about it. Yeah, some could argue that our podiums are probably terrible sports moments, but it is open for interpretation or open for interp. Also, huge personal pref as well. Matt, go ahead and get started with your lost in the metal round. My lost in the metal round is going to be Zadine Zidane headbutting Tony, I think his name's Tony, Matarazzi in the 2006 World Cup final which got him a red card and ended up losing France the World Cup. And Championship. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, his headbutt absolutely floored a guy. Right to the chest, real swift. And I was watching it live, and I didn't even see it. My Aunt Julie just was like, did anyone else see that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, play stopped. And that changed like the whole scope of the soccer world everyone stood still it's still out there there's memes about it it's a great sports moment so we got a headbutt to the chest which led to the floor as our first lost in the metal round i'm excited for the rest of the olympics here on no brains no headache podcast my lost in the metal round it's it's a tough call here but i'm gonna go with joey logano and denny hamlin getting into a NASCAR brawl on pit road. First of all, it just screams America. And apparently this Logano guy fights a lot after my research. It's always great because they always have the pre-fight casual conversation where it's like, hey, why the fuck do you push me in the wall when we're going 800 miles an hour? He's like, well, I'm sorry. It's kind of kind of hard to control a car when we're going 800 miles an hour. And then just the slightest brush of the shoulder leads to a brawl, and then dudes with headsets become impromptu referees. I love the NASCAR pick. Yes. I, that was completely off my radar on the podium. I'm very glad you went with it. There's a lot of NASCAR fights, so just look them up, but that's my lost in the metal round just to get things fired up here. My bronze medal, it has to be Malice at the Palace, Piston Pacers, I think 2003 or 2004. Honestly pandemonium is what comes to mind ron artest lays on the table some guy throws a beer at him ron artest attacks the wrong guy and then next thing you know steven jackson's in the crowd ben wallace is going nuts it was one of the first fights where they just canceled the rest of the game sounds a lot like the plot of the purge it it was a fan was on the court and one of the most like they Broke it down to, because, like, I think Ron Artest was expended, suspended for a year. Steven Jackson got 68 games, which is all of the season, basically. But Steven Jackson, a fan, was on the, the floor, and he just full-on cold-clocked him. Yeah, amateur fighting at its best. I really respect your bronze medal pick, Matt. Uh, holds a lot of water. You got to love it when there's a brawl between professional athletes and spectators. My bronze medal, I'm going with the 2007 Fiesta Bowl between Boise State and Oklahoma. So you had Adrian Peterson and the Sooners come in as seven-and-a-half-point favorites, but Boise State pulled out literally every play in the playbook and won on the infamous Statue of Liberty play to convert the two points, avoid the second overtime, and win the game. Uh, Boise State, they pulled out three trick plays to keep the game alive, like, 
end of the fourth quarter. It was getting down to the wire. Then they obviously forced overtime, and then they won on the Statue of Liberty play. But it was an era where random teams like Hawaii or Boise State would be really good, possibly go undefeated, and knock it into that BCS National Championship game. So you're always rooting for the underdog teams like that to win their bowl games. Yeah, I think it was Zanhoski or something as quarterback. They did the hook and ladder, which was huge to get the... And the hook and ladder, like, never... It happens in movies, but they actually perfected it. And then, like you said, the Statue of Liberty, that play with Ian Johnson, the running back, I remember he proposed to his wife or his girlfriend at the time after he scored the touchdown. Do you think that was the best day of his life? I mean, it would be hard to... Like beat that, the, the, yeah. be hard pressed. Tell me otherwise. <laughs> Flying under the radar, proposing to your wife. My silver medal is the, I think Cal Bears playing, as a Cal or Colorado playing Stanford. I didn't do a lot of research for this. Obviously, clearly, the band is on the field. It was one of the. The first Cal versus Stanford, Matt. Know your sports history when we do Olympics of sports moments. I I had it right, but I was questioning myself. We were sitting here for like two hours, and you were just staring at me. Well, you could have done a little research, you mongoloid. But it was the first like I don't I don't what do you call it like a backyard play like just throw the ball backwards. It was the first like desperation play where it's like, okay, we need to keep the ball alive and keep going. Bands running on the field, I believe, was John Elway playing yeah, for Yeah, that, that, that's, what, that's what makes it great, because John Elway hates the play. And the fact that a trombone player just got absolutely tea-kettled as the guy jumped into the end zone. That was a good form tackle. <laughs> if I have that trombone signed by John Elway, I will give every single one of my possessions for it. Will you get a tromboner? Yes, big-time tromboner. Nice. My silver medal... I'm going to go with the Red Sox coming back from a three-game deficit and defeating the Yankees in the 2004 ALCS. They eventually went on to win the World Series by sweeping the Cardinals. Uh, It's a great feat to be the first team to come back down three games in postseason history, but the teams they beat make it so much better. The fact that they took down the Yankees and the Cardinals just holds a special spot in my heart. I pulled up the roster... Uh, from that year, I know they had some trades, but Matt, here's just a few names for you. Nomar. Yes. Well, yeah. But starting with the pitchers, we got Derek Lowe, Pedro Martinez, Kurt Schilling, Tim Wakefield, Mike Timlin. Stop at that. That is yeah, like a Hall of Fame. Bronson Arroyo. Your catcher was obviously Jason Veritek. Uh, then you have guys like Mark Bellhorn, Nomar. I, he got traded though. Kevin Millar, Doug McKavich, Pokey Reese, Kevin Euclid, Johnny Damon, Trot Nixon, Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, Big Poppy, and managed by Terry Francona. Awesome story as it is, but just an awesome team overall. I remember being a kid and looking up to all these guys. Uh, yeah, I did. That's a great pick. Honestly, didn't come on my radar. That was the Kurt Schilling... Bloody sock. Bloody sock here. Yep. Also, Johnny Damon got a DUI like a couple days ago, blew a point three. 
higher than his career batting average. Yeah. For those of you scoring at home, that's like almost four times the legal limit. <laughs> point, point three might be damn near dead. Good for him. If you're going to do that, you might as well make it worth yeah, it. Yeah, if you're going to go, might as well just go over the top. Yeah, who do we have for our upper echelon picks here in the Olympics? So my gold medal is Randy Johnson hitting a bird. Wow, that is absolutely fantastic. I don't know why I didn't think of that. That is just, that deserves a championship. That's a championship pick right there. Okay, it's one thing if you hit a bird. Thank you. While you're pitching. The fact that it was Randy Johnson, 6'10", throwing 98 miles per hour, and a bird, like the statistical probability of that happening ever. You said that hitting a bird pitching is fine, but what makes it special is Randy Johnson. I would agree, but if you're not intending to hit a bird with a baseball and you happen to throw it and it hits a bird, go buy a fucking lottery ticket. And the fact that, like, if you see the video of it, that bird explodes. Yes. It looks like, honestly, it looks like the bag that they... It looks like when LeBron puts the dust on his hands before the game and he throws it up, that's the bird that Randy Johnson hit. uh, It looks like someone that, I'm trying to think of a reference of someone that does a shitload of cocaine, but I can't think of it right now. Carrot Top. Carrot Top does do a lot of cocaine. I think so. I would say Carrot Top. You kind of look like him. Anyone in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Depp's character from the movie Blow, which is street name for cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> it's low-hanging branch, but I can appreciate it. Awesome pick, Matt. Randy Johnson smoking that bird was fantastic. Great gold. My gold pick and you had it on your podium. I knew we were going to have at least one, and this is the one I thought we would. Malice at the Palace. Obviously, the Pistons-Pacers brawl, brawl that started when Ben Wallace, you know, he took... Uh, and Ben Wallace, by the way, my second favorite defender of all time behind Kevin Garnett. He took a hard foul from Ron Artest, Meta World Peace, Sandiford, whatever the fuck you want to call him. He changes his name every three years. The Panda Friend. Yeah. Um, but then I just love that guy. He just mountain topped a beer at our test. He's he's like trying to cool down. He knows he went a little yo crazy, trying to cool down, and then just gets a beer on him. I I empathize with our test in this situation. As he did, I would go full on insano mode. And the best part is the stats of this fight. Nine total players got suspended for like a total of 146 games, I believe five of which received assault charges with five spectators also receiving assault charges. And they got on the honorary blacklist from Pistons games, similar to the Supreme court. That shit is for life. Honestly, it's probably a good thing. They got blacklisted from Pistons games because they suck. (laughs) Yeah. They weren't really missing much. If anything, the Pistons did them a favor, but the guy who threw the beer, he ruined it for everyone because the NBA promptly, started limiting alcohol sales. So way to go, guy who threw a beer at Ron Artest. I had fully, I, I even written this down right before you went. I thought you were going to go with Miracle. The Miracle, 1980 Miracle. On I wasn't alive. I was trying to go with like stuff I saw. Yeah. I did, you know, if I could have gone with my home picks, it would be Kansas winning in 2008 with Mario Chalmers. UND men's hockey 
Fighting Sioux winning the 2016 National Championship, the same year the Chicago Cubs winning the 2016 World Series, and the Minneapolis Miracle with the Minnesota Vikings, my favorite team. But I'm not a homer pick. I do this for the people, our loyal listeners who are listening on the other end. Miracle is good, but I wasn't alive. I was going with stuff that I like, kind of at least remember. Yeah, and resonate with our listeners too. But also one I thought about, I was not alive, but I've seen the video a bunch, is Terry O'Reilly with the Boston Bruins in the penalty box. Some fan tries to take his stick. Next thing you know, an NHL player is in the stands beating a guy with his own shoe. Yeah, that's really impressive. Also innovative. That guy said, hey, this shoe's more than walking. I mean, maybe he knew that. It was like, it's not assault if you attack them with their own piece of clothing. That's true. It's like when you grab your buddy's hand and you make them punch themselves in the face, and you're just like, why do you keep punching yourself? I think he found a loophole. That's That's not assault. I, I love how that happens in, like, the 70s or 80s. They're like, that was a fan's fault. I, don't, I mean, it was the fan's fault, but, like, all right, let's just move on to the next. Happens now. That player goes to jail and never plays any sport for the rest of his life. I couldn't agree more, and he'd probably get a book deal out of it. So, I mean, things are looking up. Before we wrap this puppy up, I just want to thank you all so much for listening to the show lately. And please stay on board because we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Matt, would you agree that we have a bunch of exciting stuff coming up for our listeners? Absolutely. And if you have any sort of suggestions for Olympics, throw them at us. We'll do them. Yeah, find us on our social media pages. We'll wrap this episode up. And thank you again for listening. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much to Chris Van Vliet for joining us for the interview. Check his podcast out and check him out. Matt, that was a lot of fun. That guy is sophisticated. Yeah, that guy has range, and that is an understatement of the century. He gets bonus points for being Canadian. But if you like the podcast, as always, follow us on social media. Where are we at? We are at... Twitter at NBNH podcast and on Instagram at no brains, no headache podcast. We're going to have TikTok coming at you pretty soon. Yeah, we got a lot of good stuff. Matt does a great job of Twitter and then also follow our new account, Denco Andy for Denver correspondent. Andy, you're going to get sports gambling picks. You're going to get chicken sandwich reviews. I don't know what more you could really ask for out of a Twitter account besides those two. No, I love chicken sandwich. Chicken sandwiches, Christ. And I also love good sports pet bets. All right, Matt has had a couple of beers. We had a few for Chris, so that's his fault. Thanks again to him for coming on. Looking forward to next week. We have a sweet collaboration coming up with a more local event. It's called Dak Jam Fest. We're going to tell you more about it next week. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good one.